Hey there, it's me, Jade, and you're listening to On The Way, the titans of tomorrow, today. Alright, so this episode, we will be talking to an absolutely spudtacular person. Did that work? I don't know if it worked. I can't, I don't know if it came across, but it was fun for me at least, and I think that's what's really important at the end of the day. Um, uh, Bex Goose. Bex Goose is the person we're talking to, and you might know her better as the mind behind Potato Lady Podcast Reviews. Uh, and today we're going to talk about how she developed her podcast rating system and how her work as a reviewer has affected her own creative pursuits. Speaking of, her podcast, Not Again, is a nonfiction podcast that analyzes and reviews children media. And you're actually about to hear the trailer for it now. As someone who listens to the show, I describe it as a fun balance of entertainment and actual analysis, which is something I really appreciate, and hopefully it's something you'll really appreciate as well. Before we get to that, I want to remind you that you can find transcripts on our website, wgcproductions.com, and remember, this is a WGC production. Hi friends, welcome to the trailer for Not Again, the podcast that brings college-level analysis to preschool-level content. I'm one of your hosts, Rebecca. Flynn is a fox. I'm very fascinated by Flynn because fox, the, Flynn is a predator, but also a child. So they have kind of like a bully... Uh, Bully recipient, what victim? There we go. Bully victim relationship. <laughs> I kind of like bully recipient. <laughs> bullying. Hello, my name is Rebecca. I'll be your bullying recipient today. And I'm your other host, Alan. He doesn't mingle. He's a man of 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 the Lord. So he just goes back to church, and eventually he decides I'm going to tell everybody that she's got powers. So he turns around. He goes to the reception. And goes, guys, I don't know how to tell you this. I think the queen has ice powers. Yeah, we know. <laughs> everybody saw the ice. Come join us every. Saturday morning as we meticulously overanalyze kids' shows and movies that were never meant to be scrutinized that closely. Find us on Twitter at NotAgainPod. Bye, friends. Bye. A Los Angeles native, Bex Goose now lives in North Dakota with her husband, children, and dog. She enjoys reading, writing, baking, and drawing. Bex is both a podcaster and a podcast reviewer. Hey, Bex, how you doing? <laughs> I'm doing well, thank you. Wonderful, wonderful. All right, so I'm just going to start this off with every question that I ask every guest who comes on here. Where do you come from and what are your roots? My roots. I was born and raised in Los Angeles, California, and uh, I was part of a big, fun-loving, very close Jewish family where uh, everyone was in everyone else's business. (laughs) and I was fine with that I was the youngest of three children I still am that hasn't changed I had two older siblings an older brother and an older sister but I was the restless one in the family I guess you could say I didn't really like living in Los Angeles I wanted to see more of the world and the country so I went to college uh, in Syracuse New York Syracuse University and then I met my then boyfriend, now husband, and we lived in El Paso, and we currently live in North Dakota. All right. Well, you've done quite a journey. Could you tell us exactly what it is that you do when it comes to podcasts? With podcasts, it's a it's a very recent thing. So it, because of the pandemic, and this is a very familiar story, I know now because I've listened to a lot of podcasts, and a lot of people said, the pandemic happened. So we started a podcast. So I know I'm not alone, but we were kind of cooped up in the house with our son, who at the time was three years old. I was pregnant. We were all going stir crazy. Our son is on the spectrum and did not understand why he'd suddenly lost access to his preschool and his grandparents. And we were just, you know, 
all going a little loopy and he was watching the same shows over and over again on the TV. And at some point I told my husband that I needed an outlet for all the things that I had to say about these shows and movies. And so we decided to start a podcast. Um, and then I was trying to figure out how to use Twitter because I'm not the most social media literate person. Mm-hmm. And I was frustrated, I guess, because I, <laughs> I didn't really know how to do it. And so I decided to uh, extend kind of, uh, uh, I just reach out in general to other indie podcasters. I assumed that I was not the only one who was feeling frustrated with, you know, struggling to get the word out there. And I, you know, I just said like, I can, I can review your podcast if you want, you know, no strings attached. I just wanted to see, you know, how to reach out to people and who was in the community. And I didn't really think that it was going to, you know, turn into something. I just, I just wanted to, you know, test the waters of Twitter and it kind of just snowballed from there into like a regular podcast reviewing gig and so much more than I could have ever really hoped for or anticipated. Hmm. And I'm going to put a pin in the fact that you started a podcast with your husband. We're going to come back to that. But sure. to continue on the line that you've already started down, when it comes to Potato Lady podcast reviews, uh, just a general question, like, I know that your first review was ours woo, woo, back in December of 2020, but I just want to know, like, kind of how has your process of reviewing developed since you've began? There have been a lot of changes and I wish a part of me wishes that I, I had known some stuff, you know, right from the get go, because obviously I would have done things very differently if I'd known that it was going to blow up the way it did, because I thought I would get if I was lucky, you know, one or two responses. I now know, of course, what happens when anybody says the words podcast recommendations on Twitter. So I know better, but at the time I did not. (laughs) And so I was feeling my way through it. And at the time I was working as a teacher and I was just using my iPad to do little doodles. For yours, for the very first review, I literally took notes on a scrap of paper. That picture is still there in yeah. the review. And then I left myself more room because I realized that I'm a big note taker, not a little note taker. And then I started, I switched to digital. And then I moved back home with the pandemic and also quitting my job for reasons I don't care to get into. And so, and I had a, a tablet, a Wacom tablet from my days back in college of doing um, doodles for my blog. And so I decided to switch to doing my computer. So that was the notes page progression, but everything else was kind of like figuring out a more professional way to head at each review so that I had like title episode, you know, categories, things like that right off the bat. And the sign up form was a godsend that I wish I had figured out to do months prior to when I actually was like, you know, I could just send people a link to a form to sign up. And it it was so much easier after I did that. And then of course, the last step was to, this was a hard decision. I wanted to never say no to anybody. I wanted to say like, I'm not going to judge you. I'm going to give you a good review regardless. But the fact of the matter is that I ran into a couple where I started to feel a little disingenuous as a reviewer because if I had encountered those shows in the wild, I wouldn't have given them five stars, not necessarily one star, but I would, I felt like if people are going to see me as a reviewer, they need to trust that the opinions I'm giving are completely genuine. Mm -hmm. And so the last thing that I changed was 
just there would be a review period before I said who was on the list and there is a chance that shows won't make it on the list although that is a very very rare occurrence I'm pretty forgiving when it comes to podcasts so every once in a while I find a show where I'm like "Mm, I don't know if I feel comfortable with this but for most for the most part they all end up on the list it's just kind of an extra step for me to feel a little more comfortable okay oh and just to just to clarify for me so the podcasts that do end up on the list are podcasts that you feel like you'll be able to give a generally positive review for and the ones that don't don't make it yeah so I kind of vet them ahead of time I just listen to make sure that their content is well thought out and that there's enough production where I can tell what the show's about and the reason is because when I do these reviews on Twitter they automatically come with a five-star review on Apple Podcasts and Podchaser. Mm -hmm. And so I need to make sure that I'm comfortable giving that show a five-star review, that that I would give it a five-star review if I had just kind of encountered it without the review list and the submission form. And so like, for instance, there was one show where I noticed somebody had given it a one-star review and said that they had made racist comments. And so I was like, well, now I don't have to, you know, I felt so glad. I was like, now I can say not this show. Right. And, <laughs> um, and so I was able to, to not put that on the list. And so that was like, that contingency plan allowed me to just breathe a little easier knowing that I wasn't giving a blanket five-star review to every person who came to me asking for a review. And, that, and now when people see my reviews on Twitter, they can rest assured that I chose to give that show a review, that I chose to give it a five-star review because I liked it. I see. And I actually want to go into the metrics that you use. Rubric would be a better word. The rubrics that you use to judge these things. So you have two sets. You have one for audio dramas and the audio drama one talks specifically about the writing, the audio quality, production, the acting, and the pacing and engagement. And then you have one for non-audio dramas, which is ease of access to new listeners, audio quality, production, pacing, and engagement. So I want to know, why these categories? How did you come to determine that these are the categories that you should be focusing on? And then how did you determine the the criteria for them? I live in perpetual fear of offending people. (laughs) I'm not perfect. And so I, I didn't think anybody would actually want a categorical review. Like I thought that I would just give everybody five out of five potatoes because potatoes became my thing accidentally. I just rolled with it and that would be that. But people were starting to say like, oh, I got five out of five potatoes. And I realized not everybody realized that I just kind of gave those out like automatically. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, it, it doesn't, it's not a problem because, you know, they're going to get a five-star review from me in the more official platforms. So what I did to my review form is I, I added a choice. I said, do you want me to just give you five out of five potatoes or do you want me to do a categorical rating where you might actually like quote unquote lose some points? And more people than I ever anticipated chose to do the categorical rating. And I don't feel too bad about it because these are shows I'm giving five stars. So it's not like I'm suddenly going to give it a five out of 20 rating. Like I know that they're probably going to get like an 18 or 19 out of 20 automatically because I like the show. So it doesn't matter too much. But the criteria were just developed based on just listening to so many podcasts and thinking about what, what I'm looking for when I want to get into a new podcast. And so with the access to new listeners, so most people I think will not necessarily start with episode one. Maybe if there's only 20 episodes, sure. For my podcast, I hope they don't. I hope they start with episode (laughs) 10, right? But, you know, so so say somebody jumps into your show, you have 30 episodes, they jump in at episode 11. Are they gonna know within a minute of listening to the episode what the show's about? what they've missed, who the hosts are, you know, what the point of it is, or are they going to feel completely lost? 
Because if they feel lost, they probably aren't going to finish the episode, let alone continue listening. So that one was important to me. Do you have an intro to your show? Do you have, uh, you know, a, a tagline or, or or a pitch or something that happens at the beginning? Um, do you do you discuss like, oh, today we're going to talk about this or this podcast has this purpose, right? It does it feel organic, that kind of thing. Um, and then occasionally, you know, if the, if the content is esoteric, like there are a lot of actual play D&D podcasts out there. If they get to be too complex, I'll know that somebody is going to, who's new to the genre is probably not going to feel as welcome as maybe somebody else. But other than that, um, that's kind of what that category is. And then audio quality speaks for itself. You know, I, I don't expect everybody to have $300 microphones, but, you know, do they do their best to make themselves audible? Um, I understand some feedback is, you know, it, it happens, but, you know, do they do they speak clearly? Do they find a quiet space to record? Do they make sure that if there's multiple hosts that they all speak at regular, like kind of more or less the same volume? Um, one of the big problems I run into is there'll be two or three hosts and one of them is super quiet and the other ones are much louder. And so if it requires a lot of like volume adjustment, basically, um, that, that can be a, a point against them. Production is just, you know, do they clean it up? Do they edit it well? Is there intro music? Is there, you know, are there segments that are clearly defined? Um, and again, I'm not looking for somebody who is super professional, just that they put thought into it. And then pacing and engagement. Sometimes I notice that shows kind of lag a little bit when they should move on. And also perhaps that the hosts are talking about something that is more cathartic and interesting to them than it would be to their listeners. Mm -hmm. That happens a lot. And so it's, it's how, how well are you engaging your audience, not just yourselves? And all of my answers have been really long-winded so far, uh, but I hope that that's okay. No, I appreciate I appreciate a, a long, thoughtful answer. I think it gives more insight to the listener than something that's short and quippy and great for a soundbite. I think you're doing wonderfully. Okay, thanks. Uh, okay, so that's interesting how you developed a rubric for, you were going through your rubric for your non-audio drama podcast. And I know that you do more of those just because like the way the field is laid out, there's kind of a dominance of nonfiction podcast in comparison to their fiction counterparts. Right, yeah. For audio dramas in particular, however, you also talk about like the writing and and the acting and stuff. So like with that sort of stuff that's more subjective, like how do you come across that in a way that is as objective as possible? The number one thing I had to do was take off the ease of access to new listeners category because that's not fair to audio dramas. Audio dramas are not a, just a podcast that you can pop into at episode 10 and just hope to go along. I know people will do it, but the fact of the matter is that if you have a long running drama, you have to start at the beginning of the series or at least at the beginning of a season to understand what's going on. And that's not the fault of the audio drama, that's the genre. So I didn't, I thought it would just be completely unfair to keep that category in. So I took that out and then I realized that since it's fiction, it needs to be more catered towards how you would maybe critique a movie or a book basically. And that, is, and that requires you to look at the creative process. And I don't consider myself an expert by any means. And I don't know about objectivity, objectivity, except that I'm going basically on my own experience. I think about, am I feeling engaged? Do I laugh or gasp or cry or whatever it may be? Do I have an emotional response? And basically, I don't want to feel lost. So the show is moving so quickly that I can't keep up. I also don't want to feel like we are just getting bogged down in one little moment. Production is more important for audio dramas. And I think that audio drama creators understand this, right? If you're just doing a talk show podcast or an interview podcast, if you don't have sound effects, no big deal. 
right? Nobody's going to necessarily expect those. But because it's audio drama is literally only one way to interpret this information, you need those sound effects, you need the music, you need the tension created by little additions that you wouldn't really think about as much if you were like watching a movie where you have maybe you can hear and and see at the same time so you're getting multiple inputs and so production is very important for audio dramas acting i'm very kind to a lot of audio drama creators they can't afford to pay the the actors and they can't afford to be picky or choosy that everybody has different financial situations everybody has tons of different backgrounds and they're just trying to, you know, they're trying to create, which is admirable enough. So if somebody's acting is a little wooden, I might mention it, but it's like, I'm not going to knock off like three potatoes, I guess. I might do a half a potato or one off, but sometimes it's also a writing problem. And, some, and that's something I think about probably more than anything else with audio dramas is, are these actors struggling to act or are they struggling to sell the writing? And sometimes it's a little bit of both. And so maybe I'll do half a, pit- half a potato off for writing and for acting. But um, <laughs> otherwise, I really, I really try to think about that. But so far, especially now that I have started kind of listening in advance and deciding if I want to review something or not, um, I, have, I have encountered just so many fantastic audio dramas. I'm into so many of them. I, I can't keep up. I've listened to over 200 podcasts now. And that's on top of the ones I was already listening to before I started doing reviews. And I feel so bad because I know people want me to keep listening, but I literally cannot. Um, I don't, there wouldn't be enough hours in the day to listen to every podcast that I want to, but I'm just blown away by what people create. And I feel so humbled and honored to be given the chance to listen. Okay. So you said a lot of stuff and there's a lot of different stuff floating in my brain right now. Uh, It's all, no, it's again, fantastic. A fantastic problem to have. Uh, Let's go with the first thing that popped up. So uh, at the end, you were talking about how like you've listened to over 200 podcasts and it's just so much to listen to. I actually, when I was doing my research f- with this, I did the math. So from like your first podcast review back in December of 2020 to your 200th podcast review in um, on May 4th of 2021, uh, which is when you reviewed like 200 podcasts, the math balances out to you making a review, 1.35 reviews per day for, uh, to like balance out to 200 in the amount of time that it took, which is insane. That's crazy. So I just want to know like, how is that sustainable for you and how are you uh, maintaining that pace or decreasing that pace or like just dealing with like the sheer amount of content that you are putting out? It's something that I wouldn't do if I didn't enjoy it because in the back of my mind, I am aware that I am doing, as you said, quite a few hours of unpaid work per day, just with, with no real like tangible payoff. Sometimes people will be kind and support me on buy me a coffee or whatever it is. And I, I'm, I'm ever so grateful when they do that. But I know that that's not a guarantee. And I also don't feel comfortable requiring payment because that seems sketchy if you're a reviewer and it's like, pay me for your five stars. Like it seems weird. Mm-hmm. So I think of it more as a tipping system. But I have loved writing since before I could write well. And to have this hobby that allows me to write and then do amateur artwork, which is not very good, but I like drawing, I like doodling, and have an audience for it at all is a reward in and of itself to me. And and I I constantly thought about like, wow, people are reading words I have put, you know, well, metaphorically put on paper, and that's all I ever wanted. And so balancing it has been the the issue though. At first it was easy. There was a pandemic going on. So it wasn't like I had much of a social life. Mm -hmm. I had work 
and I was doing it um, in my downtime at work. Basically, as a teacher, I had prep periods, I had lunch, and then I also had a period where I was merely supervising a classroom because the teacher, her daughter was immunocompromised, so she couldn't come into the school because we were doing hybrid at the time, which is, you know, a ridiculous system. So all I had to do was sit in the classroom while she actually like did a Zoom meeting with her students. And so I had so much free time because even grading, like eventually I got that done. And so it was easy. I did two podcast reviews a day. I just had my iPad out and so I could do it whenever. And then other stuff came up. I had to teach from home and that meant parenting my kids a little more actively instead of, you know, being kind of detached from the home life. And I wanted to work on a couple of projects of my own. You said, you said, congratulations on the book earlier. That's one of them was a book that I've been working on. And so again, that kind of perpetual fear of disappointing people come, you know, comes through because I promised to do two reviews every weekday, which was sustainable for a while, but I realized that life got in the way too much for me to do anything regularly. And so I'm actually at a point in my life where I am reevaluating that one more time about what I promise people. I am like, I don't mean to sound snotty, but I am doing this for free. So I, I know that like, I don't owe them anything. It's not like they paid me for a service and I have to deliver or, you know, right. It's, it's kind of just a thing I'm volunteering to do. On the other hand, I know if I drop down to doing one review every weekday, people will be waiting months and months and months. And they already are for their podcast review to come out. And I don't, I don't want to disappoint people. I know that they're excited for it, which still boggles my brain. I don't know why they are. It's not like I'm really doing much for them. I mean, one review on Apple Pod podcasts, you know, but they, they seem excited for it anyway, which, which I feel just, again, just very humbled by. It's very kind of them to, to uh, hold me in such an esteem that I don't really deserve, but <laughs> it's something that I am struggling with. And so, you know, and I had this newsletter going out so people could see what was coming up and, you know, in the month, you know, this is the schedule, here's the calendar. And I wasn't able to keep up with that. And the Jewish guilt came in and I was like, oh no, I'm not, you know. Mm -hmm. So uh, I, and my next newsletter uh, goes out on July 1st. And so I'm just, I'm thinking about changing again. Like now I'm not gonna give you a calendar. Now I'll just tell you, these are the next 25 shows on my list and I hope to get to them and, you know, make my apologies and explain I got life going on and that's, just what it is. It is a struggle. I guess I could have just said it's a struggle. Oh, but then we wouldn't have got, then we wouldn't have gotten all the rich, all the rich detail. A question: Have you ever thought about expanding the Potato Lady reviews beyond just yourself, like being on someone else who can also do reviews in your style? I am a hundred percent willing to indefinitely, for now, continue doing these reviews for free with the promise of a possible tip here and there. I would never ask anybody else to do that. The commitment is unbelievable. And again, I love doing it. I'm only doing it because I'm enjoying myself. That's why I allow myself to take breaks now. And because as soon as I stop enjoying myself, I'm going to, I, do, I just don't want to reach that point where it's like, I'm doing this because I feel obligated where it, rather than I'm doing this because I want to. Mm. But I wouldn't ask anybody else to do that much free work. It's something that I've taken on and I'm happy to do, but it's just my thing. And it's just a hobby. I mean, you know, I don't, I, I, I wouldn't do that. Okay. 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 All right. Then a question comes up. So I know that you said that you've been, that you've liked writing for essentially your whole life. Have you also liked criticism for nearly your whole life? And if not, how exactly did you come into, come into criticism? 
Uh, yeah, I thought you meant, did I take criticism well my whole life? And the answer was no, <laughs> uh, decidedly not, uh, especially when I was much younger. Uh, I, uh, I I got all up and uh, angry and stuff as soon as anybody said anything negative about my work at all. I would lock myself in my room. But uh, as far as like critiquing, um, <laughs> you know, I don't I don't know. So I, I, I'm interested in too many things. I think I just, I, I have my fingers in too many pies and I just, I never feel, I feel restless constantly. I just, I always want to try new things. And uh, I'm, I'm a critical person. I, I won't lie. I'm quite judgmental. And so, you know, that lends itself well, but I think it probably came from being a creative writing teacher helped a lot, I think, because I had to teach young people how to have a discerning eye when it came to their own writing and 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 I guess that kind of developed on its own within me from writing a ton of my own work and not liking any of it is I just had I had to learn how to be able to critique what's working and what isn't or you can't succeed in a creative career for lack of better words you have to be able to take a kind of an objective lens and look at something and play around with it and figure out is it a pacing problem is it a believability problem you know what's going on here and so I think I just practiced over time and I did book reviews on my blog back in college so you know it's it's something that I I, I feel comfortable with it's not something I ever thought about pursuing as like a full-time career in the past but I, I'm also quite happy with it and so in the same vein are there any sort of critics who you look up to or emulate or who influenced you in your in your critiquing style? I wish I could say yes. I, okay. I should probably have done, I, I just feel like I should probably have done research, but the only critics I know are the ones that everyone knows, you know, um, Eper and Robert and stuff like that. But mm. no, I, uh, I guess, okay. So the one thing I can say is I am very aware of those like cliche, like almost Yelp review-esque things where it's like everything was perfect, but then they forgot my extra soy sauce. So one star, right? Like when I see a one star review on a podcast, it it really, really makes me angry because that's somebody going out of their way to make somebody else miserable. Mm -hmm. It's like, I didn't have a good listening experience, so I hate this. And it's like, well, you could just move on. Right. When I think one star, I think this person has used like bigoted language. This person is being actively hateful. This person is making death threats. Like that's, you know, I mean, that's one star and also report them. Mm -hmm. But like for me, if I don't like a podcast, I still won't, I won't put a negative rating. I'll just not listen to it anymore. Like, you know, and so what I look at is what do people actually want from their podcasts? And I look at those one star reviews and think that maybe I could just kind of balance them sometimes. Okay. All right. Neat. Now, two things. One of the things we put a pin in earlier. So back to your podcast, Not Again Pod, where you bring college level analysis to children's media. So with that, since you have been listening to so many podcasts and you've been looking at them with a critical eye, has your reviewing influenced the way in which you make you and your husband's podcast at all? Yeah, I felt like a total fraud uh, when it, when I first started um, because my own podcast was not very good, <laughs> and so I mean, if 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 Potato Lady podcast reviews did a review of the first episode of Not Again, I would it, it, the the review would not be a five star, <laughs> and so I felt kind of like I, I felt like a fraud. I was like, oh no, people are looking at me for reviews, and I don't even do a podcast that good, but. 
you know, when, when we started to have fun with it and after my son was born, we slowly worked our way up to figuring out what works. So from the get-go, I did all of the editing and um, note-taking. My husband wasn't even supposed to be a co-host. It just, I just told him like, I have an idea for a podcast. And instead of saying, great, go ahead. He said, let's do it. Aww. And, and I was like, oh, okay. Cause I'm kind of a control freak. Uh-huh. Um, and so I was like, I don't know if, and I talk a lot. So I'm like this big, loud, like never shuts up Jewish Los Angeles young woman who, young woman. Yeah. Right. Thirty. <laughs> when I met him, I was a young woman and he was like this Midwestern guy and he like barely ever like raised his voice and he just was very chill with people and he could get along with anybody whereas I was very judgmental and did not get along with everybody and so I was like I'm just gonna plow over him like this isn't gonna work I'm just gonna be talking and talking and talking and sometimes that does happen but it the dynamic grew between us where we kind of hit our groove as far as like not talking over each other too much and um, we bought a better microphone and then I soundproofed our walk-in closet and I was so happy I knew we needed a tagline to intro the show. I knew we did, but I didn't want to force one. And I was so happy that I didn't because it kind of just came to me as I was hoping it would um, by episode six, I think, which was what you were saying that we bring college level analysis to preschool level content because I knew that people, I mean, it was that access to new listeners thing. Like that one was always very important to me. Mm. I wanted people to know that even if they didn't have kids, even if they hadn't seen the shows that we were talking about, that they could listen, that we were just going to nitpick about stuff for the fun of it and so now I still don't think that I would get a 20 out of 20 uh, potatoes but I think that not again would at least get 18 if not 19 out of 20 <laughs> and I, I think that it you know it's it became a passion for us I think we we started it as an outlet we never we didn't go in going we're gonna get listeners I assumed my mom would listen and that you know like we would listen and, and that would be enough it was an outlet it was a way for us to uh you know work off some steam and stuff like that. But when we started to get listeners and I started to do these reviews, it became kind of a passion that we shared. And we just, you know, we put more thought into it. I got better at editing just by practicing and we got this soundproof and, and it just kind of went from there. Hmm. Okay. And then I also wanted to ask about that other fun artistic endeavor that you have. So like you recently published, it's recently for us right now, when this episode comes out, it'll be a few months back. But your book, Hellbound, came out. It's for purchase. Woo. And you, so it was written over a decade ago. Uh, I, watched your, I watched your YouTube vlogs. So like it was written oh, over- Oh, thank you. Yeah. It was written over a decade ago, but you, edit, but you were editing it in the modern day and you had to, of course, like change stuff, which you talked about. But I also wanted to know, like, since you were also reviewing fiction in your Potato Lady reviews, since you're also reviewing fiction, did that have any impact on how like you came, on the eye that you came with when you were editing your, your own story? If I'm being honest, I think it's the other way around. I think my practice with editing Hellbound is what gave me the skills I needed to critique fiction. Interesting. Yeah. It, and and it's not, it was not, how do I say this? It wasn't a one woman show. I had a lot of outside help. My husband, we were joking around when I, when I put him in the acknowledgments, he was like, but I didn't do anything. I want you to, everyone says their husband was great. I want you to say I was terrible. At least then people will notice. We were joking <laughs> about it, but he he let me read the book out loud to him twice when I was in college. And that takes, he's an audio person. I actually can't stand audiobooks, but he is like an auditory person all the way. He learns better through listening. He loves audiobooks. And so he let me read, him out, read it out loud. But on top of that, my best friend is 
uh, a freelance and also not just freelance editor, like it depends on the day, I guess. Um, and she went through it with me. My family members gave me advice. My big brother helped me work through the plot. So it was, it took, it kind of like when they say it takes a village to raise a child, sometimes it takes a village to write a book as well. Mm. And on top of that, Hellbound almost got published back in 2013, 2014, maybe. And the editor I was working with, I'm incredibly grateful to her because she thought the book could go all the way, but she gave me some really bad advice oh. uh, on how to edit the book. And, and it took me until I you know, was much older to realize it. And so I had to walk back a lot of the changes that I had made specifically for her. And it's such an interesting thing because I went through a lot of heartache with this book. Mm-hmm. You know, I, it, I entered it in, an, uh, it's, there was, it's, it doesn't exist anymore, but it was called the Amazon Breakthrough Novel Award. And it got really, really, really close to the finalists, but then it got cut. And then it almost got published, but then it didn't. The senior editors rejected it. And so there's so much heartache. And yet, if I hadn't gone through that exact, you know, series of events, I don't think I would have ever gotten it to the place where it is today, where I'm actually happy with it. And I think that it could, it could go, it could do well. And so it's, it's, it's a, it's a bittersweet story, but I think, I think it's going to have a happy ending. And all the while I was reading and rereading and constantly taking a critical eye I I tell my students a lot of people say like you're your own worst critic or whatever and they say that like it's a bad thing but when I was working with writers the ones who were the real problems were the ones who were their own biggest fans Mm -hmm. they were the ones who wrote back to literary agents and and you know accosted them for daring to reject their novel I I said it's okay to be a critic of yourself you just have to learn how to do it productively Mm -hmm. right and so I I was constantly trying to look at it objectively and see what was working and what wasn't. And I did eventually develop a thick skin from all the rejection because I did query it to agents. I tried to go the traditional publishing route. And after a while, I got better at accepting criticism. I told you earlier that I was not good at it. <laughs> you, you get there. You really get there. At some point, it's just like water off a duck's back. And, uh, and, and I think that just helped me so much, especially with, I mean, it helps with just all my reviews in general, but with the, with the audio drama reviews, especially. And uh, sometimes I sit back and I think like, what would Hellbound be like as an audio drama? And like, yeah, maybe someday. Oh, I was, I was literally about to ask you that question. I was going to ask, reading the description for the book, listening to you talk about it, I was thinking like, oh, have you ever thought about adapting it? So uh, I'm going to ask you to expand on that thought. Have you ever thought about possibly having it adapted into an audio drama? My first thought was graphic novel, I guess. I thought that maybe it was more of like a visual thing, but the more podcasts are reviewed, the more I, I, I don't know if I've ever seriously entertained the thought. The fact of the matter is that if, if I did, well, I guess if I did, I have a lot of contacts now. I feel like I'd be insulting anybody that I didn't reach out to though, but I, I have a couple, there are a couple, uh, what do you, what would we call them? Audio dramatists um, who I have uh, worked with and also done voice work for they, I could definitely reach out to them and, and get them to help, but I, I would only want to do it once I had like a budget to actually pay everybody and pay actors and stuff. And, and I would just basically help with the writing because I know for a fact that I would not do anything uh, good for production and sound mixing and stuff like that. That takes skills that I don't have. But um, right now it's just a fantasy. You know, I think it'd be fun. I think it'd be just so darn fun to, to rewrite it as an audio drama and, and work with these wonderful people I've met. But it's just like, that would be cool. That's the kind of thought I have. Not like, okay, I'm making a timeline for this and reaching out now. It's, it's, it's just a fantasy. All right. Well, uh, I hope your fantasy comes to, comes to life someday. Thank you. Yeah, you're welcome. Okay. So another question that I had, well, one, 
can I ask like this is a silly question, but it's something that that really I've really been thinking about ever since I stumbled across you. Why potatoes? <laughs> That's it's not a silly question. You're you're not the first to ask either. Don't worry about it. It's one of those things where it, it's another exactly what I said earlier with Hell, Hellbound. It's just like it's a series of events I couldn't have predicted, and I don't think I would change it if I could go back. But basically, as you pointed out, I was starting to do these reviews in December of 2020. And it was just about time for Hanukkah. And as some people know, a traditional food during Hanukkah is something called latkes, which people erroneously call potato pancakes. That puts me in mind of like buttermilk pancakes made with potatoes, which sounds gross. That's, I tell people it's closer to hash browns, but with flour, basically, and egg to make them a little more like thick. But uh, fritters, some people know them as fritters as well, potato fritters. But uh, basically... Um, my best friend and I were talking, um, we were instant messaging, and she was asking me about the best potatoes to use to make, to make latkes with, because apparently, apparently I knew the answer to this. Mm -hmm. I don't know. Um, and I was giving her the rundown and basically told her, you're going to want to use russet potatoes for latkes, golden potatoes for stews and mashed potatoes, and red potatoes never. And she said, thank you, potato lady. And it was a joke. Um, she just ended the conversation by saying, thank you, potato lady, because I'd given her such a thorough rundown of all the potatoes I liked and disliked. And I looked at it and I just went, potato lady. And at this point in time, as I said, I was still trying to figure out Twitter. I understood <laughs> that I could not change my handle. Beck's Goose was, was there to stay, but I'd figured out that I could change my name. So I had done some fun. I had, I had has, had some fun with that. I think it, at the time when I started reviewing, it might have been it might have been screaming into the void, um, which is something I called myself because I had 12 Twitter followers and every tweet I did without hashtags was just like my way of yelling into the nothing and knowing no one would respond. But I think that I changed myself to Potato Lady because I was like, oh, this is fun, Potato Lady. And then I continued doing podcast reviews and I was like, I should do something with podcast reviews in the name so that they like people know that that's what I'm kind of doing right now. And at, at first I thought I would have to delete Potato Lady, but then I was like, actually, Potato Lady podcast reviews has that alliteration. Maybe I'll just keep it. Instead of changing Potato Lady, I'll just add on to it. And so I added podcast reviews to the end of Potato Lady. And as they say, the rest is history. Yes, a legend was born. All right. Thank you for sharing. <laughs> yes. That satiates a question that I've had for quite some time now. Thank you. Uh, <laughs> yeah, happy to do it. It's, uh -huh. fine. it's a weird story. Hey, but it, a lot of stories are. Okay, so one thing that you said at the tip tippity top of this interview was that the way that you got started on your own podcast was you started reaching out to people in the podcast community. You made mention of how like you have uh, contact with audio dramatists as well. So I just want to kind of know, how do you go about meeting new people in the podcast community and, and just sort of keeping up those relationships and, you know, just maintaining those bonds? It's it's tough. The the first thing that I had to make a decision about was that I simply could not follow back every podcast that followed me. Not only do a lot of podcasters that I've reviewed follow me, but a lot of podcasters I haven't reviewed follow me. And I know that the kind of, I guess, the etiquette of Twitter is that you're supposed to hit that follow back button. Mm -hmm. um, but I also use Twitter to keep up with the shows that I follow, like I listen to, subscribe to. Um, and I actually, I feel so pretentious doing this, but like <laughs> I created a kind of an award system for my more recent reviews because some podcasts just kind of went above and beyond. Mm -hmm. And one of the awards that they 
can get is that I subscribed, basically. I binged and subscribed because I don't subscribe to every podcast I review. In fact, I subscribe to very few of them because, as I said before, I just can't. Like, I like a lot of them. And I would go back to some of them, like, without subscribing to them. But if I subscribe, it's because I, I'm actually going to try to work it into my rotation. And that that's tough. I have a lot of shows in there. So I, I actually use Twitter to keep up with the shows that I have either developed a good relationship with or that I actively subscribe and listen to. And so if I followed back everybody, that I feel like I would just get bogged down in 9,000 different podcasts and I would just lose the ones that I was actually, that I developed a relationship with. And those were, for the most part, people that I reviewed early on, you know, um, you for one, and, you know, uh, the Paranormal Burrito and Sandman Stories and Ladies Fright and so many others are just podcasts that were right there at the beginning. And so I feel like, I always wonder, like, do I call them friends? Like, at what point are they friends? And at what point are they like Twitter acquaintances? But I don't think about it too. I mean, like, you know, it's it's I, Twitter friendship, right? Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, it's, it, it's a... I never want anyone to feel insulted, but at the same time, I have to kind of make the decision that works for my life. And I have forgotten the original question you asked, just how do I balance all that? How, how do you maintain them? How do you uh, build them in, et cetera, et cetera? Oh, right. right. Yeah. So, so yeah, I mean, it, I, I have, I guess, a special place in my heart for the people who have kind of like moved on to kind of, in my mind, more of a friend, friendly relationship as opposed to like, I would say professional, mm-hmm. but I try to uh, like and retweet shows that I actively listen to, especially ones that I have um, reviewed. I like to give boosts when people are doing polls. Um, I kind of hang in the background. If somebody says that they need followers and I like their show, I will retweet for that. And, uh, you know, I mean, it's tough. I, I never want anybody's review to get buried. So if I have just tweeted out a review... I will usually go radio silent on Twitter for quite some time because if I feel like if I tweet or retweet anything after that, that maybe people will see that instead of the review I posted. So I kind of take a backseat. I do a lot more on weekends with like my personal stuff to mm-hmm. make sure that nobody's review is getting buried. Okay. Well, in that response, you said something that really stood out to me and it was that the podcast that you like, but some podcasts go above and beyond and you actually subscribe and listen to the episode. So I want to know, in your opinion, what makes, what is the difference between a good podcast and a great podcast? You know, I'm, <laughs> that, that reminds me so, okay, so this isn't going to seem relevant, but I promise it is. Okay. Uh, go with me on this. I will. I, uh, as a, as an aspiring young adult author, I attend a organization called the Society of Children's Book Writers and Illustrators. And they have conferences pre-COVID where you get together with a bunch of other people who want to write and illustrate and you, there are keynote speakers and you, and breakout sessions where you learn from authors and agents and editors and whatever. And every year before COVID, when I got a chance to go, because it was expensive, there would be a panel of agents and editors and moderator. And inevitably the question would come up, what makes you actually say yes to a manuscript? And Every year I watch them do this little song and dance to avoid answering the question because every person in that room, there's like 2000 people in the room, they're looking for the way, the way to get the yes that they need and get published. But the truth of the matter is that what makes an agent or an editor say yes to a manuscript is they like it. And there's no way to quantify that at all. There's no set steps or recipe. They have to be in a good mood maybe. Like, it depends if they read it at the beginning of the day or the end of the day. Did they spill their coffee on themselves right before they saw your query, right? 
And on top of that, when they read it, they just, it, there has to be a spark. They have to like it. And so what they say instead is it has to have a really strong voice every year. Same, same answer. Oh, we just look for a really unique voice, which is code for it sounds professional and I liked it. And I think that that answer, I mean, it's so sad. Like I am not, I'm not disparaging them. Like they, they have to try, you know, they don't want to crush anybody's dreams, but I think that that answer is really appropriate here. I can't really put a finger on it. I mean, first of all, I have my likes and dislikes. So I'm more likely to subscribe to an actual play D&D podcast than I am to a sports review podcast or a history podcast. But it, it's just something when I hear it, I go, I need more of this. And there's just that spark of enjoyment. Oftentimes it'll make me laugh. I'm big into comedy. So, you know, anything that genuinely makes me laugh, I'll subscribe to. But other than that, I couldn't tell you a great podcast is so subjective. One person will think a podcast is great and another person will hate that exact same podcast, same with any kind of entertainment media. And so I wish I could give a formula, but other than just keep trying to be better every episode, I really don't have one. I appreciate the honesty. And that's, I mean, that's fair. That's facts. Yeah, that's facts. Yeah. All right. So I asked that question. I'm going down my list. I have a list. Um, so... <laughs> So a question that I just generally have, once you do reviews, do people reach out, not even necessarily the podcast that you did the review for, but like just people in general, do they reach out and tell you this podcast was helpful, this podcast wasn't helpful? Do they reach out about the reviews? Yeah, not, not even like the, the podcast that, had the, that the review was on, but like, do people reach out saying, yes, this made me want to listen to this podcast or no? Like, do you get any feedback is what I'm, as I suppose what I'm asking? Not as much as I would like. I mean, I really, I really genuinely want people to be able to use the reviews as a kind of shortcut to see if they're going to have that spark with a podcast. But um, a couple times people have said like, wow, I didn't know about this show or this is interesting. And um, at the very least, I think that I maybe have helped make some connections uh, with podcasts that have uh, similar themes. Um, Cause you know, th there might be a podcast out there that is about, you know, such and such subject and they, and they don't realize that there's another one that could be like a sister show to them and they didn't even know it. So they kind of can be made aware of other stuff and other content that is similar to theirs. But, you know, that's what, that's what I said earlier is just, you know, I, I don't really know if my reviews have any particular effect on the download numbers, right? It's why I'm surprised when people seek them out still, like you get a, you get a, a doodle from an amateur artist and a five-star review on Apple that's pretty much what any random person off the street could give you, right? <laughs> Doodle quality could be varying, I suppose. But for some reason, people like it. So I, I don't know really if, I mean, first of all, when I reviewed your show, nobody saw it. And I feel very bad about that. Oh, I'm, just happy um, you know, I'm just happy to kick you off. Yeah, you were the first and therefore nobody saw it because you were, you were back when I had the 12 Twitter followers and I was screaming into the void. Now maybe more people see the review, but typically my followers are other podcasters. So I don't know how many like non-podcaster listeners are out there noticing the reviews, if any, right? But I like to think that maybe every now and then somebody gets a subscriber that they wouldn't have had otherwise. Um, but I don't get a lot of feedback about that. I do get a lot of people, um, there's like three different types of people who reach out. There's the people who DM me and say like, uh, if, if they're nice, they say, I would love a review. How do I, how do I get one? And if they're a little bit pushier, they just go listen to my podcast. And send <laughs> then there are the people who 
reply to a review going, listen to my podcast and link it. I usually block those people because you don't get to piggyback off of other people's reviews. You know, that's just for advertisement or whatever. That's rude. Um, And then there are the people who reply to one of my tweets and go, hey, I'd I'd like a review. Where do I do that? And more often than not, I have to say like, sorry, my review form is closed because I'm booked for like months and I need to catch up. But yeah, uh, that's the most feedback I get or people reaching out I get. It's like, how do I get this? And depending on how nice they are, I am uh, accommodating or not. Again, I'm very petty and judgmental. I, I don't understand. People on Twitter seem to, seem to think that I'm a kind person. And if, if they find out that I'm not, I'm screwed. Okay. Okay. Um, so keep that between us. Oh, wait, this is a podcast. Oh, but, <laughs> okay. Well, okay. Here's like my, my fourth to last question. Mm-hmm. So you're not the only podcast reviewer I know. I'm aware of like Will Williams and like other people as well. Do you have any contact with them? Like, is there like a podcast reviewing club? Do you guys kiki on the weekends? Like, is there any, <laughs> is there any sort of interaction between y'all? You know, I, there probably is uh, with, with other reviewers. I just, I, I don't know. I am tangentially aware, I would say, of some other reviewers that exist out there. And, um, you know, I mean, like, I know the big, like, Pod Nation is a big one and stuff like that, where they're kind of like more like social networking for for podcasts. Mm-hmm. But uh, no, I mean, we, I think that we mostly just kind of stay in our own lane, not out of like, you know, competitiveness, just because there's not a lot of crossover. And, you know, it was important to me that I just like, do my thing and make sure that people know what they're going to get from my reviews. But I feel no animosity towards anybody else. Because, you know, the more reviewers out there, the better, you know, giving podcasts a chance to be noticed but it's more just kind of an awareness of who they are than like actual interaction okay alrighty. so third to last question i don't mean to do the countdown i'm keeping a track in my head okay so <laughs> that's okay i understand lists uh-huh. <laughs> i have a lot of them so from the very first review to now your style has changed quite a bit i mean like you've gone from just doing like notes on actual physical paper to like sort of typing them out in paragraphs on Twitter to like listing the categories and like doing digital illustrations for them and having rubrics. So like there's been a lot of shuffle in like the past six, seven months since you've started. So I, I just want to know, you know, get an inside scoop. How do you anticipate the journey that you that your reviewing style might continue to take like development wise? I am keeping an open mind. Um, at the beginning, I kind of bandied about a bunch of different ideas um, about like doing something a little more permanent, like a blog or whatever. But the fact of the matter is that people don't blog as much now as they do TikTok vlogs and Twitter threads. And so I felt like it would actually be a step backwards to do that. So my one concession was to do my website, which I haven't kept up in a really long time. I'll get to it (laughs) uh, where I kind of like post, uh, some of my more recent reviews in a more permanent way where you, it's not the Twitter thread, it's the actual paragraph, um, with the artwork so people can see it. But considering how much has changed in my life in such a short period of time, all I know is that I couldn't possibly guess what's next for me. Because if you told me this is where I would be now, back in December, I wouldn't have believed you. I would never have been able to anticipate it. If somebody said, like, six months down the line, where do you think you'll be? And I would, I would have said, like, not on Twitter anymore. <laughs> like, you know, I'm just like back in obscurity where I belong. So I'm, I'm open-minded, but I, I couldn't possibly predict what's going to happen next. I think I've hit my stride now. A Twitter thread, the art, you know, the heading, whatever, you know, the organization. I'm working on a, a final 
all about me pinned tweets that I can have at the top of my profile so people can find information easily. And then I'll just see. <laughs> I'll just wait and see. Okay. So then here we are, two to the end. There are, you again, you listen to a lot of podcasts and this question probably applies to you better than most anybody else I've ever asked. What are you listening to? Like, what's on your list? What are you looking forward? What are you looking forward to hearing? What am I listening to coming up for reviews, or what do I listen to for pleasure? For There's pleasure. two very different answers. For pleasure, like for what, pleasure. Yeah, what's on your what's on your pleasure okay. listening list for podcasts? All right, um, I will just pull up the app because otherwise I'm going to forget. I always get this question, and then I feel bad. I'm going to forget. Okay. <laughs> Okay, so uh, there's an audio drama called The Green Horizon, and it's one of my favorites of all time. And they, uh, he has just come up with like a different series, I think, um, which I'm like, I'm I'm in season three of the original series, so I'm really excited for that to be dropped. But like, I'm looking forward to listening to this new series. It's called Voiders um, by The Green Horizon. So that's that. Uh, the big podcasts I listen to, the big three are My Brother, My Brother and Me, The Adventure Zone, and uh, The Flop House. Mm-hmm. And then I added on The Greatest Generation, which is about Star Trek. I love Star Trek, so that's that. Tenish Podcast is one of my big ones. Sorry for the wait, spelled W-E-I-G-H-T. I'm just, I'm literally looking through the app. Let's Make a Music is so funny. If you're a fan of Brian David Gilbert on YouTube, he has this podcast where they make silly songs. It's absolutely amazing. Um, Mystic Lasagna. Mystic Lasagna is a new one that my husband discovered for me because I am an unapologetic fan of Garfield the Cat. Ah. And Mystic Lasagna, these two guys get a random Garfield comic and attempt to, I think, predict the future using it. Basically, they do like an in-depth analysis of each panel. And it's it's the funniest thing I've heard in a long time. And what's really great is the first episode I listened to, not the first episode of the show, but the first one I listened to, um, they started describing the comic and I knew exactly which one they were talking about. Like that's how much I have read and reread the Garfield collection of comics. I have trouble sleeping at night. And when I was younger, that was how I would like unwind before bed is I would read Garfield comics. Um, and so uh, Mystic Lasagna is a new one. Um, but yeah, I mean, there's so many film rage, taboos, uh, highbrow drivel, time for your hobby, vintage rock pod. Um, let's talk about this from Australia. I was on that one. I had the honor of telling two Australian men about the Pledge of Allegiance. They didn't know. And that was hilarious. <laughs> it was the best time. Anyway, so yeah. <laughs> yes. Um, so we, we ended up, so their, their podcast is supposed to be funny, but we were talking about education. So we got really serious a lot of the time um, because the education system in a lot of countries is very flawed. But um, I, had, I, had, I had such a great time with those guys. They pulled off something that so many podcasts try to do which is just like me and my best friend talk about stuff and like I mean I'm being really I guess you know derisive here but like sometimes you and your friends are funny to each other but it doesn't actually translate that well to strangers listening to you but these guys let's talk about this I don't know there's something about it that it just works they pick a random topic and talk about it and yeah like I'm on board and that was one of those things where it's like, that was the spark. That's why I subscribed. That's why I wanted to guest on their show, you know? And so uh, that's, yeah. And there's, and there's, there's tons of others for sure. Um, but uh, that I figure if I give a list that's too long, we'll be here for much longer. So. <laughs> well, uh, 
Okay, well, thank you, though, for giving the ones that you did, and I'll be sure to listen to them. I look forward to it. Uh, I assume it goes without saying, like, on my way is on there, too. But All right. I'm, I'm glad. <laughs> I just, yeah. I'm very glad. Uh, okay, so last, kind of last question. It's like one and a half. So, Vex, you are, I mean, like, this is really picked up. Like, you started seven, eight months ago, and now, like, here you are doing all of this stuff and you're voice acting and you wrote a book and you have a fantasy of it becoming an audio drama and you're just reviewing so many podcasts and and you're just doing all of the stuff and so I want to know how will you know when you've made it um I I I have is the thing um I I wrote in my newsletter that I have because people were asking when their podcasts were going to be um reviewed so I created the newsletter I wrote recently that I, I'm just blown away by how different my life is because my husband and I randomly just started, decided to start a podcast. Um, because without starting Not Again, I wouldn't have gotten on Twitter and tried to get out there, I guess, on social media. And you know, without that, I wouldn't have started doing the podcast reviews. And without the podcast reviews, I wouldn't have discovered Deconstructing Damsels which is a podcast about romance novels. And without that, I wouldn't have discovered, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Um, I definitely wouldn't have had anybody even remotely interested in purchasing a self-published book. That's the problem with self-publishing is unless you're somebody, the book just kind of goes into the obscurity of the internet and nobody ever finds it. So I, I can't believe that people are talking about Hellbound, even if they don't buy it. The fact that they are talking about it is mind blowing to me, but I am I have a short story that's going to be published um, by Violet Gaze Press. It's coming out very soon. Pre-orders are starting in just a few days. And it's a it's a romance compilation, so it's rated R. But it's my writing. And my, my goal was just to have somebody read my writing and be like, yes, this is good. I'll put it in a book. Like, that was, you know, I worked so hard for so long. for The, the validation you feel when somebody reads your writing and goes, yeah, this is good. It's, that's it. Like, my, my writing is going to be a, in a book that's on sale and I wasn't the one to self-publish it. So mm. I actually, I'm just like, whatever happens from now on is just going to be like icing or cherries on top or some other analogy. But like, I, I'm already happy with where I got to. And I never would have gotten there without podcasting, which is funny to me, but awesome. All right. Well, thank you for sharing. Can you tell the people where they can find you? Sure. I am on both Twitter and Instagram at Bex Goose. That's B-E-X-G-O-O-S. It is pronounced like the bird goose, but it's not spelled like goose. Don't be one of those people who puts E at the end. <laughs> you can find my soon-to-be hopefully updated website at uh, www.potatoladypodcastreviews.com. And Hellbound is available uh, digital right now. The paperback and hardcover are coming very soon. But the easiest way to find that is just to follow me on Twitter. And thus, we've concluded the third episode of the third season of On Their Way. On Their Way was created, hosted, and edited by me, Jade Madison Scott. The theme was composed by Baggio Alvarado, and the logo was created by Amaka Corey. If you'd like to help us continue to make podcasts you like, you can support us on Patreon for as little as $1 a month. In addition to helping us out, you'd also gain early access to episodes and exclusive content, which is a top notch. You can find the link on our website, wgcproductions.com. You can also show us some love by following us at With Good Toe on Twitter and Instagram and telling your friends about us. Next week, we'll be talking to Rashawn Singh, who is one of the minds behind Temujin, an audio drama, and Andas Productions. 
As always, I appreciate you for listening and please take care of yourselves and each other.